Praise the Lord. Well, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 13. If you don't know where Genesis is, just go to the very first book of the Bible, and, uh, and that's where you'll find it. Genesis, we're going to be in chapter 13. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. So this is uh, a time in, in, in the history of Israel when Abraham the founding patriarch of, of God's people, was journeying. He left his home, and he was journeying through the land of Canaan, and he had with him his nephew, his brother's son, whose name was Lot. And uh, they're looking for a place to settle in the ancient land of Canaan, but realized that they had to separate. Their caravans were so huge. They, they had each had Lot and Abraham each had so much livestock and so many people with them that the land could not support them together. So in Genesis 13, verse 9, Abraham said to Lot, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. Verse 11. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Today I want to talk to you about pitching your tent towards Sodom. Pitching your tent towards Sodom. Now Sodom was an ancient city uh, where rebellion against God was the norm. The people there were, as the Scripture says, so exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord that God would eventually rain down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them in chapter 19. But Sodom is a parallel to our culture today. Our culture today with its defiance, with its decadence, with its rebellion against God. And we, as Christ's followers, are like Lot. We must journey through this world without being pulled into its culture or conforming to it. In 1 John chapter 2, there are two scriptures I want to read. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. But verse 12 says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now Abraham gave Lot, the ability to choose, just like God our Father gives us free will, the ability to make choices as we journey through this life. And Lot chose 
a direction. He chose a course, a pathway for him and his family that put them in direct line to and in view of this city called Sodom. Which meant every day their eyes would be seeing Sodom. Every day their ears would be hearing Sodom. Every day they would be encountering the sights and the sounds and the atmosphere and even the people traveling in and out of Sodom. It's called pitching your tent toward Sodom. And it's important for us to understand the consequences of pitching our tents toward Sodom just as Lot did. First, Lot, not only did he pitch his tent toward Sodom, he ended up living in Sodom. Which means to pitch your tent toward Sodom is to eventually get there. In chapter 13, he's just in his tent facing Sodom. But by chapter 14, he's actually living there. And not only him, his wife, his two daughters were there. He brought his entire family into a place which was surrounded by decadence and depravity and demonic perversion. Secondly, not only were they living in, first they pitched their tent towards Sodom, then they're living in Sodom, and secondly, they fell in love with Sodom. His daughters married themselves to Sodom. Their husbands were men of Sodom. His wife became so enamored with Sodom that she was reluctant to leave it and couldn't stop looking at it when God warned them not to and turned her into a pillar of salt when she turned back and looked at Sodom as they were leaving it. And third, first they were living in it, then they fell in love with it, and thirdly, they became lukewarm. Lot became lukewarm because of it. As a father, now look at this, he became so desensitized so comfortable with the perversions of Sodom that he actually offered his daughters to be abused by the men and the culture of Sodom. And you can read that in chapter 19, verse 8. This is a man, Lot, who could no longer discern right from wrong. He lost that ability. Remember when that was actually a thing? How many remember those days? when there was a such thing as right and wrong, right? When parents taught their children right from wrong, right? When Christ followers and God's people actually had convictions against right and wrong. How many remember that, right? But Sodom corrupted his judgment. It captured his wife's affection. It consumed his, his children... It transformed his character. And when God rained fire down upon Sodom in chapter 19, he lost everything. His wealth, his goods, his home, his livestock, everything he had lost. This is the consequence of pitching our tents toward Sodom. Now in this world, Sodom is all around us. How many have noticed that? Yes? Sodom is in the media. Sodom is on the internet. Sodom is in the hearts and the minds of people. Sodom is on TV. You turn it on and it's right there. It's in the music. You listen to the music, it's in the music. It's on Instagram. 
It's on Facebook, right? But here's the word today. This is the word today that I want to give you. Do not pitch your tent towards Sodom. We must be people who can rightly discern Sodom when we're looking directly at it. We must be people who can recognize right from wrong. We do understand that there is such a thing, right? From wrong, right? We must be able to teach it to our children. Right from wrong. Train up a child in the way they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it, right? We must speak it into our culture and not be silent, right? We've got to get to the point where we as individuals can discern things. Is what I'm doing, what I'm involved in, is it right or wrong? This activity that I'm going to participate in, is it right or wrong? This, this stuff that I'm watching on TV, is it right or wrong? This music that I'm listening to, is it right or wrong? This relationship that I'm about to get into, is it right or wrong? This place that I've been invited to, and what these people in that place want me to participate in, is it right or is it wrong? How many are, how many are tracking with me? We must be careful lest we pitch our tent towards Sodom and allow ourselves to get sucked into culture. So today, I want to offer some guidelines. I want to give you six, depending on time, maybe seven, questions to answer to help us recognize Sodom when it's before us. And to establish some standards, some convictions that will keep us and keep our children and keep our families out of Sodom. Amen? Don't pitch your tent towards Sodom. So as you came in, I, I, I think you might have gotten one of these. If, if you have not, they're on the back table there. You can grab them on your way out. Um, but it basically says, is it right or wrong? And then it has the uh, questions that I'm going to give you here listed uh, for you to refer back to. Is it right or wrong? Here's a couple of questions. Number one, this activity, this place, this thing that I'm about to get involved in, does God's Word confirm it or oppose it? Does it contradict God's Word? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, The Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation because, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. How many realize the Bible is not just casual reading, it is instruction for righteous living, yes? Amen? And God's, God has given us this Word. He's given it to us to equip us and to correct us and to make us wise in this world. Jesus said, be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. Right? Be wise in this. And sometimes God's Word will confirm our thinking, and sometimes God's Word will correct our thinking. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? Now understand, God's Word is not a list. It's not just meant to be a list of do's and don'ts meant to take our fun away. And this is what some people think. They think, they don't want to be a Christian. They don't want to follow Christ because it's going to take their fun away. And you've got this list of rules and, and regulations. Understand something. His Word, His Word is meant to keep us safe. His Word by the B-I-B-L-E, 
basic instructions before leaving earth, right? The B-I-B-L-E, right? See, God has established certain life laws and principles, and if we will align our lives with those laws and principles He has set up, we will remain healthy and blessed, and so will our families. Amen? It's like driving a car. It's like driving a car. Realize that New York State did not make certain driving laws. They didn't put up stop signs and guardrails to take your fun away on the highway. Right? Don't say, I hate those stop signs. They're such a nuisance. I wish I could just blaze right through that intersection and not have to slow down or stop. I hate those guardrails. I wish I could just, you know, go around that curve on that cliff and not have to worry about a guardrail. Right? But the guardrails and the stop signs are there for our safety. We all understand that. Right? And if we just drive right through those things, we're going to be in trouble. God's Word is like a guardrail that keeps us from going over a cliff and crashing. How many understand that a guardrail at the top of the mountain is better than a hospital at the bottom? Right? And God's Word is like a guardrail to keep us so we don't need to go to the hospital. So when the Word of God says, flee fornication, it's not meant to take our fun away. Talking about premarital sex. It's not meant to put restrictions and binders on us. No, because God knows that if you abuse sex the way that he's created it to be and you disregard that, then you're going to bring difficulty into your life, right? Like, like pregnancy when you're not married, right? Or, or disease, right? Or the guilt and the shame of, of getting into relationships and going into that intimate level when there's really not that commitment or that, or that marital bond. Right? He, know, he understands that, that if you allow your life to be used like that, it's, it's not going to be life, life-giving. When, when the Word of God, young people, when the Word of God says, honor your parents. How many know that the Bible says that? Honor your parents. Right? A couple parents know that. But young people, that's what... And it's not saying that to take your fun away. It's saying that because your parents, if you listen to your parents, they will give you wisdom. Because your parents have already been where you are. And they understand that there are certain traps, there are certain snares, there are certain pitfalls that you as a young person will fall into if you're not careful. And your parents are your best friends. They're your loudest cheerleaders. They are in your corner like nobody else. None of your friends will love you like your parents. None of your teammates will care for you like your parents. No one on social media will understand you and champion you like your parents. They will give their lives for you. There's no one on Instagram that will give their life for you. And every restriction they put in your life, and every, every time they hold you back, they're doing it for your own good. And God understands that. He gave you parents to love you and he says honor your parents listen to your parents obey your parents and your life will be healthy and blessed on this earth amen right so does god's word confirm it or oppose it secondly secondly what about those things that may not be specifically addressed in god's word some people call them gray areas and sometimes I even challenge the notion if there really are such things as gray areas because there are other principles that apply, like this one. Second question. Will this activity, will this place, these people, build you up spiritually or drag you down? And parents, these, are, these I think are some good rules that we can help to, to really t- train our children in and help us to explain to them why, as families, <clears throat> we have certain convictions and why we 
don't do certain things or we do certain things because there are guidelines in the Word of God. Secondly, will it build you up spiritually or will it drag you down? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What is the word edify? Edify means to build up, to make strong. Now, just because something may be lawful, meaning it's not specifically called out in the Bible as sin, does not mean that doing that thing is going to be helpful. Hello? Right? The issue is not, can I get away with it? The issue is not, can I do this thing and, you know, and still be saved? No, the issue is, is it beneficial to me? Is it going to, to build me up spiritually? Does it fill my mind with, with godly thoughts? Or does it pollute me and distract me and drag me down? Does it empower me to serve God? Or is it pulling me away from God? Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So in other words, is this thing that I'm going to do, even though there may not be a specific scripture about it, is it putting something in place in my life in view that's going to provide for my flesh? This was the issue for Lot in pitching his tent toward Sodom. There was nothing wrong with the plain of Jordan. Abraham said, you can go anywhere you want, right? There's no scripture that's, that says, thou shalt not pitch thy tent toward Sodom, right? There was no specific scripture. So what was wrong? What, what was wrong about that? The issue was the direction that pitching his tent towards Sodom was taking him. It was pointing him towards Sodom. And the men of Sodom, as verse 13 says, were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. He was putting himself in a place where he was going to be tempted. The best way to avoid temptation is don't put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted. Amen? In other words, if you're trying to overcome, you know, an addiction to alcohol, don't go to the bar and order a glass of milk and thinking you're going to be okay, because you probably won't be. You're putting yourself where you're going to be tempted. So Lot was in a place where he was constantly taking in the sights and the sounds and the atmosphere of Sodom. Every morning he'd wake up and he would see there Sodom all throughout the day doing his work. He would hear about the, the music and the revelry of, of, of Sodom. At nighttime, as he was laying his head down in his tent to go to sleep, he would see the lights and the glow of the horizon of Sodom and, and all the sights and the sounds are constantly filling his mind, filling his head. He'd probably dream about it all night long. He'd wake up in the morning and there he would see it again. Sodom was all around him, and eventually he ended up living in it, and his children and his wife ended up being corrupted by it as well. Just because something may be lawful doesn't mean it is helpful. Amen? Amen? Number three, third question. Does this thing that I'm about to do lower God as a priority in my life? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first... The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I call it the Matthew 6.33 filter. The 6.33 filter. If I do this thing, will God still be first in my life? Will God still be first? How will this thing affect my time and my commitments and my ability to honor God first in my life? Will this thing affect my ability to, to worship the Lord publicly, to serve in ministry, to fulfill my commitments? Will this thing drag me down spiritually and cause me to put God 
on the back, back row. I've known people who've made decisions to get rid of their televisions because their televisions were interfering with the, in their walk with God. I've known people who got rid of their cable service. I've known people who've deleted their Instagram accounts or their Facebook accounts because there was just too much temptation there. Got rid of those devices because it was pulling them away from the Word, pulling them away from their times in prayer, making them carnal in their thoughts and, and, their, and their attitudes. So that's the question. How will this thing affect your spiritual disciplines and the biblical priorities in your life? I remember one guy, he uh, wanted to buy this new truck and... Um, and so he, he wanted it so much, and he, he managed to go into the dealer. And you know, if you go into the dealer, they'll find a way, right, to make it work for you. How can we make it work for you today? What do we, we got to do, right? And they adjust the payment and do whatever, right? And so he managed to buy this truck, this Nissan Pathfinder, right? And the uh, problem was this. The payment was so high that he could barely afford to do it. So he had to take a second job. He had to work overtime, which meant what? It meant, meant that he had to quit all of his ministry commitments. In fact, he was a worship leader. He was gifted as a worship leader, powerful worship leader. But he had to quit the worship team so that he could go to his job so that he could pay for his truck. Right? So what was happening. The decision was pulling God down as a priority. In, and forget about tithing. Can't tithe anymore because now i got to make all these payments, right? And that's what happens to a lot of, a lot of people, right? They say, well, I, I can't afford to tithe because they have created a lifestyle for themselves that they can only support by consuming the tenth that God has reserved for themselves, right? They made a decision or make decisions in their lives that pull God down as a priority and put other things higher. Amen. And parents, we need to consider this also when we're agreeing to allow our kids to get involved in all kinds of activities and, and commitments out there, we need to be careful that we're not teaching them that God really isn't a priority in our lives, that all these other activities are really more important, right? Because we don't want to be in a place where when our children are adults, 21, 22 years old, 23, they want absolutely nothing to do with Christ or with the church or with the faith. And we are seeing that kind of a statistical decline right now in our younger generation. So parents, we need to be certain that we are not pitching our tents toward Sodom. Amen? Hello? Yeah? Okay, number four. Is it of the world? Fourth question. Is this thing that I'm doing, is it of the world? So I read the scripture, 1 John 2.15. Let me read it again. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is, but is of the world. So John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, but that doesn't mean that he loves everything in the world. Hello? Right? He loves the people of the world, died on the cross for the people of the world, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful, so much so that God rained fire and brimstone upon them. So here's the question, does this thing that I'm about to do or I want to do, does it promote the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life? We need to be careful about falling in love with the things of this world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said this, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. 
Now, too often we'll say things like, well, I can handle it. It doesn't affect me, right? That, that place I'm going or that thing that I'm watching or this thing that I'm doing, it doesn't affect. I can handle it. It doesn't affect me spiritually. Well, that's probably what Lot said as he was pitching his tent towards Sodom. I can handle it. More than we realize, we are affected by the messaging and the morality of this world. It's a fact. Think about this. Why do you think that advertisers pay millions of dollars to advertise on on television or on streaming? During the Super Bowl, do you know that commercials cost $6.5 million per 30-second ad? $6.5 million for 30 seconds. That's over 200 grand for a second. Right? Now, why do they pay that kind of money? Because they know that if they expose the public to their product long enough, the public will eventually buy the product. That's the rule. And And it's worked. And so they keep paying the money, right? Now, not immediately... It doesn't work immediately. They know that you know, as soon as you see a commercial for a new car, you're not going to jump up and run out and buy a new car. Or you see a commercial for Dunkin' Donuts, you know, you're not just going to be like, i got to get out and get a donut. You know, it's not like that. They, they understand that there's, there's a process involved. So what the commercial does is it plants a seed. It gets you to say, hmm, I'd like to drive that car. Or, hmm, that donut looks really good, right? To get you think about, thinking about it and desiring it. Their goal is that when the time comes for you to make a choice, you'll choose their product. The next time you're driving and you see that Dunkin' Donut sign, right? You'll hit that turn signal and you'll, you'll remember that we become conditioned to accept these things and to want these things, right? And this is why in our highly sexualized culture, the movies and the music and the media are so destructive. It's why Netflix and YouTube are pushing gay and transgender ideologies because they're planting seeds, right? They know that when a teenager sees something on Netflix or YouTube, they're not going to run out immediately and, and, you know, and, 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 and become sexually active or, or become gay or transgender, right? But here's what they know. When circumstances are right, under the right conditions, in the right situation, right? When a young lady is alone with that young guy, and they start to remember this, the, the overt sexuality of that pop music star or that favorite actress, right? And they start to think, wow, you know, she's sexually active and look how great her life is. And then that seed starts to germinate and bring forth bad fruit in her life, right? Or when a young person feels depressed or rejected, and they feel so unhappy with their own identity, and they think, I hate myself the way I am. Maybe I'm really not supposed to be a boy. Maybe I'm actually supposed to be a girl. Or a young girl who feels so rejected by, you know, the the boys around her. And so she thinks, you know what, I can't handle all this rejection from the boys. And she gets along easier with the girls, and so she starts to turn towards You see how it works? It's all about planting seeds so that the right circumstances will bring out the bad fruit. Be careful where you are pitching your tent 
because Sodom will suck you in and suck your family right in. Amen? Don't pitch your tent towards Sodom. Here's another one. Does it damage your testimony? Does it damage your testimony? What's a testimony? The testimony is the witness that you have before all of the unsaved people around you. Do you reflect a good example of Jesus Christ to the people who don't have Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 2.12 says, Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Right? Do you ever hear someone say, well, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites? Do you ever hear that? Right? That's silly. That's like saying, I, I don't go to the hospital because there are too many sick people there. I mean, of course there are hypocrites in church, right? Because we're all messed up, right? But the point is this. I don't want to be the excuse someone uses for not coming to Christ. My poor example, my poor testimony, right? Philippians 2.15 says, Be blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The world should see our lives and be compelled toward Christ. They should see us as lights in the darkness. The contrast between having Christ and salvation and not having Christ and no salvation right? That's what happened to me. When I came to Christ, the reason why I came to Christ is because I had a friend who loved Jesus and followed Jesus. And the way that he was living his life and the way that he was talking and the way that he was loving and the way that he was glorifying God, it got my attention and it exposed how lost I was and how much I needed Jesus and how he would tell me that he was going to heaven and I was going to hell. And that contrast in our lifestyle made that message powerful to me, and I came to Christ, right? But if you have your, your tent pitched towards Sodom, and you're acting just like Sodom, and you're living and talking and speaking just like Sodom, the people in Sodom aren't going to see any need for Jesus in their life. How many are getting that, right? So that's the, the fifth question. And the sixth question is this. This thing that you want to do, Will it cause others to stumble? 1 Corinthians 8-9 says, Beware, lest this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. What's a stumbling block? What's a stumbling block? Think of it like this. I had a, a, young, a young man in our church some years ago. He was a recovering alcoholic. He was invited to someone's house uh, in the church. They invited him over to, the, to their church. And uh, they were talking in the kitchen, and the guy opened um, his refrigerator, and there was a six-pack sitting there, and he offered the guy a beer, and that was the end of his recovering from alcohol, alcoholism. That night, because a brother in the church offered him a beer, sent him back into a spiral, right? That was the stumbling block. And we need to be careful that the choices that we are making do not cause the people around us to stumble. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.13, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat. Right? The point is this. How are the choices you are making, even saying, well, I'm free to do that. Okay, you may be free to do some certain things, but how are those choices affecting the people around you? Specifically, how are they affecting our children? Hello? Amen? 
Remember what Jesus said in Mark 9.42. Whoever causes one of these little ones, children, to stumble, who believe in me, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So parents, remember, maybe you can handle the, the movies, or you can handle the media, or you can handle all of this stuff. Maybe it's not affecting you, right? But how is it affecting our children by allowing certain things into our home or into the culture of our homes? How is pitching our tent towards Sodom affecting our sons and our daughters? Amen? Be careful. Because Sodom will suck them in. And finally, last point real quick. Does it trouble those whom you respect? Proverbs says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So this refers to people in your life that God has placed whom you respect. Mentors, parents, pastors, right? And God puts certain people in our lives for a couple reasons. To teach us, to guide us, to warn us, to help us see things that we can't see ourselves. Maybe we have blinders on, right? It's about allowing people, not being too proud, but allowing people to speak into your life and realizing maybe you don't have all the answers and you need to listen and you need to take some guidance, right? I'm not talking about trying to appease power-hungry, manipulative, controlling people who are trying to diminish you and make themselves feel more powerful. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about opening your life up to a few trusted people whom you know have your best interests at heart and care about you enough to speak truth into your life, right? How are some of these choices affecting their conscience? Are they troubling them? Amen? So these are just a few standards that I wanted to encourage us with today to help us get back to asking that question, is it right? Is it wrong? Am I pitching my tent towards Sodom? Amen. Let's, let's stand together. Father, in Jesus' name, we recognize, Lord, as we journey through this world, through this life, that, Lord, the culture around us, God, is exceedingly wicked. It's exceedingly wicked, Lord God, the defiance, the rebellion, the decadence. Lord, it's all around us. And Lord, we want to be that people who follow you, Lord God. We're not interested in Sodom and what it has to offer, God. We're not attracted to it, God. We're attracted to you. We're not seeking Sodom. We're seeking you, Lord God. Come on, if that's your prayer, just lift up a hand and say, yes, Lord, I'm not seeking Sodom. I'm seeking you, God. I don't want my eyes on Sodom. I want my eyes on you, God. Lord, give me the discernment. Lord, help me to be able to recognize. Come on, put that up that other hand. Just in surrender. Lord, help me to recognize, Lord, when my tent is being pitched towards Sodom. Lord, and I'm in danger. My family is in danger of being sucked in, Lord. Lord, give our, our fathers among us today. Give them discernment. Lord, our mothers, Lord, give them discernment in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that our children, Lord God, would not be pulled down into the culture around us, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Just take a moment, church. Just take a moment. Just close your eyes. Just say, Lord, guide me. Just talk to the Lord for a moment.
guide me. Speak to me, Lord, about my media choices. Come on, talk to the Lord. Lord, speak to me, Lord God, about the places that I'm going, the people that I'm hanging with. Holy Spirit, come. Give me discernment. Give me wisdom, Lord. Show me those things that I need to let go of. Show me those things, Lord, that should have no place in my life, in my heart. Deal with me, Lord. Convict me, God. Help me to hear you, Lord. Help me to hear you, God. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, church. That's a bold prayer to pray because it can get uncomfortable. It can get uncomfortable. Lord, convict me, right? Lord, deal with me. It can get uncomfortable. But if our hearts are right, God will speak to us and he'll give us the grace. He'll give us the strength that we need to stop pitching our tents towards Sodom. Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to let you be seated for a moment before we dismiss. I know some of you got to get your kids. Don't worry. We told the Children's Church people there might be a little delay. Uh, we wanted to, uh, once again, announce that our executive pastor and uh, his family will be leaving New York and relocating to North Carolina. And we're um, very sorry to see them go, but we know that they're following the will of God in their lives. So with that, we rejoice. Amen. And we're happy for them and we celebrate them. So uh, Pastor Keith and uh, Malia and Kyler and Malia, come on up, please. And uh, yeah. So, Pastor Keith is actually going to be preaching next week uh, because I'm going to be in Africa. So I'm leaving uh, actually on Sunday, and his last day is actually next Sunday. He's going to be preaching, but wanted to do this while I was still here, um, and I just wanted to say publicly, Pastor Keith, how much we appreciate you, Malia. How much we appreciate. You and your family, and how much you guys have been a blessing to us these past five years. You've really helped us um, to develop. Amen. Um, yeah. Amen. It really helped us to grow, to develop, to become. Uh, more excellent in some of the things that we're doing in our ministries and our organization and uh, your love for the Lord your love for people your handle of the Word of God and your preaching we've been blessed we've been blessed and uh, we we honor the call of God on your life we know that the Lord is is pulling you although we're still trying to pull you back but I don't think we're gonna win that battle but um, but we honor that call we release you with our blessing and we love you and we thank you and we know that God has some amazing, amazing things in store for you. So my wife is coming um, uh, uh, with some flowers for you, Keith. Oh, they're for Malia. Oh, okay. Okay. And for Kalia. Yeah! <laughs> Thank you.
Amen. And there are some other things that the board has arranged with Pastor Keith behind the scenes uh, just to send them off with, with a blessing um, just so that they'll know that we're going to be praying for you guys. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so when you, know, when you get this North Carolina stuff out of your bloodstream and you're ready to come back to New York, okay, you let us know, all right? Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray for this family. Father, we're so grateful, Lord God, for Pastor Keith and for Malia. Lord God, and for Kyler and for Kalia. We pray your blessing on them, God. We thank you for their ministry, their leadership, for their love, their example here in the Mission Church. We pray, God, as we release them, that, Lord, you will go before them. You'll open the doors that you want open. You'll close the doors that you want closed. That, Lord God, you will, you will bless them with wisdom and discernment. You will meet their every financial need, their every physical need, that they will go with good health, with prosperity, with strength, with the blessing of the Lord over their lives. Lord, we release them into your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You're welcome. All right. So you'll be hearing from uh, Pastor Keith next week when he preaches. Um, but uh, after service today, there's some refreshments, and I think there's a little cake going to be in the lobby. So God bless you, church. You are dismissed. Join us in the lobby after you get your kids. Pastor Keith and his family will be there to, to greet you as well. God bless you.